Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. I will be reading Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 27. Acts 20, 22 through 27. The Apostle Paul continuing his speech to the elders of Ephesus. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word to our minds and to our souls and to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit and your presence that was there that day with those Christians, with those elders, with Paul, with Luke, May we sit in the presence of your Spirit also, hearing this admonition, these words, which ultimately come from you through your Apostle. And may they penetrate our lives and our ministries and our walk with you to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every single Christian, by definition, has been miraculously called to Christ and called to live for Christ and called to lay down his or her godless life and to live in the light of God's promises which have been secured for us in Jesus. And every single Christian has been given a gift or gifts, talents, abilities. They have been given, in other words, ministries, service to others. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he's referring to every single Christian in that church, and he says this in Romans 12.6. Having gifts that differ, oh yeah, They differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. We all have been called to ministry if we've been called to Christ. That's why he left us here for whatever short or long amount of time. So here's the question then. What's the key? What's the key to you who profess faith in Christ to not veer off the road and crash into a wall 
but to persevere. What's the key to not, as some do, even in the New Testament, what's the key for you to not make shipwreck of your faith? For you younger believers who love the Lord, oh, you are so fortunate to come to Him as a young person. But Christianity, your life, your ministry and or ministries, it's a marathon if He gives you 80 years. It's not a sprint. And then for some of us who are now older and older and been fortunate enough to have Jesus grab hold of us 30 or 40 years ago, this is a big question. I really feel it. How can we finish our race, our course, our life, and finish it well? If you're intending to be more healthy by losing weight, keeping it off, if you think it's just a sprint, a little short little amount of time, you will not succeed. If you're intending to be healthy and you choose a crash diet that you know that you cannot live by indefinitely, you will fail. You must change your whole perspective, your lifestyle concerning eating habits in order to have a chance to finish the race at maintaining faithfulness to your health, to your weight. And the trick, therefore, is not a crash diet. The trick is not beginning the race. Well, the trick is persevering and finishing the race. That's an analogy to our lives. Now, if anyone had obstacles to his race, his course that the Lord gave to him, it has to be the Apostle Paul. But he was going to finish the course, the race that the Lord gave to him. And he is here in this speech encouraging all of these leaders, these elders of the church of Ephesus to encourage theirs. And the key to doing it is verse 24. But I, Paul, do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only, in other words, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And ten years later, he writes his last letter that we have before his execution. He writes it to Timothy, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And the secret to his start to his middle, and to his strong finish was that, he says it right there, 
He, Paul, did not consider this temporal, mortal life to be more important than the faithfulness to His Savior and to the ministry that He called Him to. To finish the race, Paul said, He put the service that Jesus grabbed hold of Him for and he put it above his life itself, its danger, its setbacks, its threat of death. And so, for all of us to remain faithful to Christ and to the ministries that he has given to us, and they even may change over our lifetimes. They're small, and they may be big, they may be large, none are insignificant. In order to continue on and to finish well, we also must put faithfulness to Jesus, to the Gospel, to our walk with God by the Spirit and the Word. We must put it above life itself. Family, friends, work, money making, anything that would get in the way. That's the only way we will finish our race. Particularly in this post-Christian culture we live in. As Bob was praying. And, and I love it because you didn't make insignificant our persecution. Yes, we're not dying yet. In this more and more anti-Christian culture that we are living in. That's how we'll make it. That's how we'll finish our race. That's how we'll remain faithful in our ministries as a wife, ministries as a husband, ministries as a single person, ministries as a parent, even of adult children, ministries of teaching Bible, ministries of serving in various capacities. That's how we will finish. And not only finish, but do it with an even greater life devotion and love and joy and our Savior as we are approaching the ends of our race now or 60 years from now. So, if you're there, in Acts 20, remember we're in the middle of the speech Paul's giving to the elders we saw last week in verses 18 to 20. Paul just rehearsed how he himself lived very candidly and openly among them in Ephesus for three years and how he was faithful to preach and to serve Christ. Now, Paul lets them know that he knows that what lay before him on this track that he is running is it's going to get really brutal now. Look at verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that, because he's on his way to Jerusalem now, that imprisonment and affliction sufferings await me. But he's going to be faithful by God's grace. He's going to run the course that Jesus set for him. 
And so what I want to do with the rest of our time as we look at what Paul says is, let's look at how he was faithful, piece by piece, and see that those pieces are extremely important for us, each in here that love the Lord Jesus in running our race to the end. So first, notice each of us must know, as Paul knew, that we all have been entrusted with work, with ministry, to do. It is Paul's ministry here as a way of life and work that he put above mortal life itself. Now, first of all, there is no such thing in the Bible as, look at all the Christians and then here's a few. Here's a few Christians who are called to ministry. And the rest, no, they just the ones who just get ministered to and go on with life and die. That is not biblical. Every time in the New Testament that the subject of the gifts, spiritual gifts of, to serve and to help and to encourage in various forms, every time they're mentioned in the Bible, they're with the word each or every Christian. Like the Apostle Peter, when he wrote a letter to all the churches throughout the Roman Empire, every Christian, read this to them. He says to all the Christians in chapter 4, verse 10 of 1 Peter, as each person, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, manifold grace. Every Christian is unique purposefully by your Creator and your Savior. And every, every Christian has a gift or gifts or talents or abilities to be used in ministry, to serve others. Ministry is not merely an official title or some kind of a job description spelled out in a nonprofit corporation. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of acting that permeates the Christian's life. That's first, to know you're called into the battlefield of service in ministry. Secondly, I think that the mentality we see here in the Apostle Paul is hugely important as a Christian. And that is this, to know Paul didn't volunteer. I think I'm going to go serve in the Marines. He wasn't a volunteer. He was like 1968. I don't want to go to Vietnam. And he was drafted. Oh yes, God's grace changed his, his heart. And it wants to if you're a Christian. But he saw, I've been conscripted to this. Look at verses 22 and 23. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. It means compelled. Forced. 
I can't get around this. I've got to go. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. Imprisonments and afflictions await me, but I'm going. Because I've been drafted. I'm under command. The Holy Spirit impresses upon fellow Christians here and all these churches, remember, Paul has been going through. So Mrs. Smith says, you know, Paul, I've been praying and I can't shake this. And it's just, I just feel I got to say it to you. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get thrown into jail. And you're going to, you might be beaten really bad. Or it's not going to go well. And then the other woman does. And he goes to the next town. And this guy and this Christian, these normal Christians have the spirit impressing upon them. And Paul keeps hearing from their mouth. What's going to happen? Holy Spirit's testifying to him. So Paul hears that in church after church after church up to this point that we've seen. And then what he does is he goes down to the office of human relations of that missionary board that, that sent him out. And he says, I'm putting in for retirement. I'm tired of this. Look what's ahead of me there. I deserve at least a few years of just relaxation and playing golf and going on cruise after cruise before I go home to Jesus. It's not what he did. Why? Because he did not see himself as a free man. He saw himself as a slave. He saw himself as conscripted into this army with his particular task. He did not view himself as a volunteer in this work. He was drafted. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem because I have been forced. I've been constrained, compelled, by the Holy Spirit. Do you see yourself as a volunteer? As a Christian? Or do you see yourself? And I know what I'm doing. I know the history of humanity. And so does God. And that's why he's planned things the way he has. Or do you see yourself as a slave? Oh no. By a master that none can ever come close to equaling when it comes to his love and care eternally for your soul. That's how every Christian is called to view their lives. To view your marriage and your role your parenting in your role, your teaching in your role, your business in your role. Why? Because Christ bought you if you're His. Paul made that clear. We saw last week in 1 Corinthians 6. You have been bought with a price, the price of His blood. You do not belong to yourself. You're not your own. You belong to Him. And he will do with you what he will. Slaves don't oh, choose to serve. I think maybe I'll serve today. I'm not going to serve. They don't choose. 
They're under orders. And slaves of Christ love. Oh, unless we're overcome by sin, which all of us Christians are. It's part of the Christian life of repentance and faith. But when we're not overcome by sin, we get it and we love to serve this great master. That mentality in, in, per, in persevering and finishing your life and your ministry well is essential. So Paul says, here, you got to know that you have a ministry in ministries. And secondly, that you've been drafted to this. And thirdly, to follow Paul in finishing well in our race, we must cultivate the mindset that hardship will come. You, you can't or ought not be surprised when it does. But here's the key. We can trust the sovereign one of the universe who became a human being to die for us and was resurrected and ascended on high and is reigning with all authority and power given to him utterly sovereignly. We can trust our life and our death, our shortcomings, our pains, emotional or physical or familial or whatever those things be, we can entrust all of that to Him in the midst of the trial. Why? Because we know our future. I don't mean future from here to when they put you in a coffin. We know our forever future in the resurrection and the inheritance that is laid up for us. And therefore, we are enabled to not consider this temporal life as more precious than the future glory that's promised us. That's what Paul means. He doesn't mean I'm a piece of junk and not made in God's image and don't value my life. That's not what he means. He means in comparison, I, and you know this in Philippians, right? Well, lost willingly everything for the sake of gaining Christ, being found in Him, of having His righteousness and what's promised forever unendingly. Because Christ was raised. And therefore the promise that I will be raised with Him is sure. That's what drove Paul. That's why he says here, imprisonment and afflictions, they await me. But, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul was simply saying here, clearly, he was willing to suffer and to die for Jesus. And for the sake of the gospel and proclaiming it. Now we Christians today have to be very careful not to say, yes, yes, of course, this is the great Apostle Paul. So of course he was called to live with a willingness to die. Okay, I say be careful not to say that 
Because Jesus, our Savior, said, and he didn't say this just to his disciples or apostles. The text is clear. He said it to his disciples and to the whole crowd, these words in Mark 8, 34 to 35. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Because, okay, listen to the because here. Listen to the reason. Whoever would save his mortal life, live for this life, whoever will save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. That was not Jesus' special call to an elite brand of Christian. That was Jesus' call to salvation. Self-denial is what every Christian is called to. To deny first and foremost, to deny living by and fulfilling your sinful desires and pleasures. And also to deny participating in what may not in and of itself be sinful if that track would take you away from faithfulness to Christ and fulfilling the ministry or ministries He's calling you to. And of course, taking up your cross, that imagery, means that ultimately, it's what Jesus meant, and for 2,000 years it has been and is today being fulfilled, means for a number of fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus, it means the ultimate sacrifice of giving up their life because of their faith in Jesus. But see, at the core... Biblical self-denial, when it's said and done, this is the gospel, not one soul, even tortured to death for Christ, will ever, in the future, boast. Look at me! Because self-denial is not merely Self-denial in and of itself is an end. It is self-denial in order to get what is infinitely more precious, valuable than all of this temporary world could offer. Biblical self-denial is finding the treasure of Jesus in the field. Going home and selling everything you have in order to buy that field to have Jesus. Biblical self-denial looks at what will cause my heart to become harder. I don't want it. I'm going to deny it. What will cause me to be unfaithful to Jesus? And that's got to go. Biblical self-denial puts aside temporal, you've got to hear me carefully, 
It put here it puts aside temporal pleasurable pursuits as its ultimate goal. Doesn't mean a Christian doesn't have pleasurable experiences every day like sleep, rest. Ooh, I love this food. Massage my feet, please. It means if you're, you're living and you're pursuing, that's my goal. And that's what brings me happiness. That's the problem. In other words, biblical self-denial doesn't live for those things as ends. But instead what it does is it invests. It invests its hard-earned money. And it invests its time and it invests its talents or giftings and callings into the kingdom of God down here on earth. The Bible's clear that following Jesus, it will bring hardship. Indeed, Paul says, every single person who desires to live a godly life, a biblical life, Foundationally trusting in the gospel and paying attention to what is right and wrong. Every human being who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're not being killed in America yet. I would like to say the government's not persecuting, but that's not true. It is persecuting some of our brothers and sisters, government agencies and law courts. But here's the reality, and I, don't, and I do not in any way downplay this, because in the light of there are brothers and sisters suffering and dying around the world right now because of their faith, particularly behind Islamic bloc countries. But for some of us, the scariest persecution that we come against right now today is not wanting any acquaintances of ours or family members or friends to think that we are unloving. To think that somehow we're a bigot, mean-spirited, because we will not celebrate a loved one's so-called same-sex marriage. I mean, I'm looking at Teresa. She knows a very close friend really went through that. She and her husband in a family. Every single human being, whether homosexual or heterosexual, whether not practicing either one of those or practicing both of those in sinful ways, every single one of those in our family, our friends, our workplace is made in God's image and worthy, therefore, of our love. And we should love them up. But we Christians cannot celebrate what the culture wants us to celebrate if God has spoken clearly in Scripture. That is against my And the devil will cause people to misunderstand how much you really do love that person and why, therefore, you'll be faithful to Christ over that issue. So now here's the question. If we put this together so far, 
for all your ministry. You've been conscripted. You've been drafted. And you know, Paul, right now for you, <laughs> it's going to get really nasty. It's going to get painful. You're going to be in prison. Okay. Then why in the world would Paul or any of us go down Go down to the draft board and say, here I am, my number came up. And they give you a physical and throw you in the army. Why would you do it knowing that's what's going to happen? Why not just go to Canada and become a draft dodger? Jesus already answered that question in what I just quoted from him in Mark 8. The only other option is to live for yourself in this life. To live for yourself and, and your temporal pleasures and get all you can get and then one day stand before the judgment seat of God. As Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Paul trusted the gospel and that's the key to his faithfulness he he knew the future inheritance that was promised and is promised to every soul who will have jesus far far exceeded any temporal setbacks or pain or loss in this life he willingly lost all things for the sake of gaining Christ and eternity and to share in the glory of God the Creator, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To share in it by being brought fully in it in the resurrection one day when all of His sin will be no more along with all the saints. And so, you have a ministry. You've been drafted to it. There is hardship. And now notice that Paul kept his eyes. This is a key. He kept his eyes on the racetrack, the running track that Jesus put before him. And to know that was key. Listen to how he says it. Verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Why? In order that I may finish my course. In order that I may finish the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And he says what it is. For me, Paul, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's a preacher. He's a missionary. He needs to go to Jerusalem. And he needs to get to Rome. That's his call. Not everyone's called to be a missionary or a preacher. But we all have calls. In other words, we, we, we have a brother. I forget his name, but that doesn't matter at this moment. We have a brother in Colorado who's become you know, almost a household name, except for me, evidently, from Colorado. He's Christian. He loves Jesus. He's an artist. Became very good at making artwork with cakes. Has his own bakery. Serves everybody. Loves like all Christians are called to love. 
be faithful to the gospel. But when persons come into his business and say, oh, we want you to help us celebrate same-sex marriage and therefore make the cake. No, no, here's a card of my friend over there. He's really good, but I'm a Christian and I have a worldview that's different than yours and I can't do that. Okay. And many people have lost their businesses in photography, etc. Et this, is, this is not different. Their ministry is different than Paul's. They're Christians. We're all in ministry, even if you're a business owner, to be faithful to Jesus. But Paul's particular ministry is to solemnly testify to the gospel of grace as a missionary that Jesus called him to. But each of us must also be faithful with whatever gifts or, or standings and positions in life God has given us right now. Or 20 years from now, again, right now, to be faithful with our money, with our time, with our talents, and faithful to, as Paul says, the gospel of God's grace. Now, notice what Paul says about his ministry to the Ephesian church here in Asia, in Ephesus, and, and to the elders, which, because that ministry now has come to an end. So on that run of his track, he says, I've been faithful. I did finish my course with you. And so let's just slowly read what he says about that. Start with verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Okay, I'm, I finished this part of the race. And therefore, because... My last shot at you. I testify to you this day that I, Paul, am innocent of the blood of all. Why? Because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel. Of God. As we saw last week, he said that earlier in the speech. Many do. Let's just pick out the, the feel good parts of the gospel, not the whole gospel, because if you talk truly about what the gospel is, I might bring my family member and they might not be there yet and be offended by it. Paul said, and you got to think about, why did he decide to use those words? Your blood's not on my hand. That's what, it, that's what he tells them. I, Paul, am not guilty of failing in my ministry because I preached and I taught God's entire plan of salvation from eternity past to eternity future. And you don't know what that plan is according to Paul given to him by Jesus. Read the book of Romans again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. 
Now, Paul did not just pick those words out of thin air. Paul was a Bible-saturated man. He grabbed those words from the Bible. Really what he did, he grabbed them from his memory bank in his heart because he had Ezekiel down. So I want you to turn there. Because it has to be read and read slowly what God says to Ezekiel that Paul took to heart and why he uses the words here, your blood is not on my hands. In Ezekiel 3, the Lord of the universe says to Ezekiel, starting with verse 17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Okay. Don't let these people be destroyed. You're a watchman when the enemy comes in. And so here it is. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. That's your job, Ezekiel. If I say to the wicked... You shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul as faithful. I added faithful. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay, I God lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. And you will have delivered your soul. Flip over to chapter 33 of Ezekiel. We read there, starting with verse 7. And so you, Ezekiel, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. It will be just. But because you failed to tell them what I told you to tell them, his blood I will require at your hand. Therefore I testify to you, Ephesian elders, this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all because I did not hold back anything God 
has revealed or said, I gave you not part, but the whole counsel of God. Paul does not think that God's word should be toyed with. He said, I'm not guilty of the warnings God gave through Ezekiel because I preached everything. Paul preached every aspect of the gospel, every aspect of God's scripture, every aspect of who God is. He preached God's holiness. He preached He's the creator and we're all dependent that God is absolutely in sovereign control of everything. He is perfectly just and thus God is holy and perfectly justly angry with every sinner. And His Wrath in judicial condemnation and punishment will be meted out upon those who have not found the remedy to be their joy, Jesus Christ. The same God who is just and wrathful is merciful, filled with love for His glory and a love unimaginable for all of his people. And all of it in Paul's gospel is centered in the person, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. No blood on my hands, Paul declared, because I did not hold back. So if our lives in here, if our lives, the way we're living, walking, repenting as sinners, our words, what we believe, what we hold to, if with all of that in our lives, we betray the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ, then we may in some sense be guilty of the blood of those who were tainted and confused about the gospel by our failure. If we live for the Lord as sinners, as sinners, in other words, therefore, who, re, who repent, who continue to trust in Jesus and hold to the truth of deliverance from God's wrath in Jesus Christ, then we are innocent of the blood of our friends, of our children, of our co-workers, or anybody else who comes in contact with our life and our witness for Christ. I think that's an appropriate application. Now here's the big question. 
Ezekiel was a born-again man. And so is Paul. Can Ezekiel, could Paul, could any actual, genuine Christian today be guilty before God when it comes to our eternal destiny? No. That's the gospel. You've been washed. You've been justified. All guilt is removed. And it's happened through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus. And that was true for Paul when he said it. And so here's the next question. Can we Paul included, Ezekiel included, any of us Christians today, can we be guilty in another sense? As a, as a child is guilty for the infraction and his loving dad disciplines him? Yes. Absolutely. We've all, as Christians, if you're a Christian, we have all been given little realms of ministries in this world. So let us go on by the grace of God pursuing being innocent of the blood of all people that come into the realm of our lives and contact with us. The Gospel of God's grace lived out in our lives and spoken through our words is not a joke. It is not a small thing about cultural conflicts more and more in this country. It wasn't small to God through Ezekiel or from Paul to the elders. God's grace will eternally pardon every sinner who hears the watchman warn of the impending judgment to come and hears the offer of free, unmerited, you can't earn it, the grace of God purchased in Jesus Christ. Every single one of them will be pardoned forever if they repent and trust in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we who by God's grace have fled for mercy in Jesus. Here's our life the way Paul puts it. And it's not just if you're Billy Graham or if you're the Apostle Paul. It's every Christian. We all have little miniature worlds in which we impact. And we are like Incense walking around on this earth. And God smells it. Our Father smells it. And 
depending on the person with whom our life and our message of the gospel, where they're at in rejection of it or a fellow believer of it, the smell is different. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 2. For we, gospel people, Jesus-loving people with the message that has once for all been given, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, it's a fragrance from death to death. That's serious. And to the other, though, it's a fragrance of life. To life. So let us, let us go on in our ministries. Let us go on in our walk. Let us go on in our course as a husband, as a wife, as parents, as a worker, as a, an honest businessman, as a member of a local church. Let us go on being faithful to our Master, to our Lord, and to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. And thus let us finish well, knowing you have been entrusted by Jesus with job tasks, ministries. Knowing you're not a volunteer. He conscripted you. And doing it, having the mindset, yes, suffering, hardship will come. But in and through it all, we can trust Jesus. How? By keeping our eyes on the promises that are laid up for us. Not in this life. But in the resurrection. Faithful is He who called us. And He will cause us to finish well. Father, I ask that you continue to work in each one of our souls, in our hearts, in our affections, the ideas that are floating in our heads, to work continually now by your Spirit as we turn to the table to the body of Christ and to the blood of Christ that we will hold and wait and pray over and partake together. Search our hearts. Let us examine our hearts by your Spirit, knowing that as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness again and again and again. And this morning here as we are headed towards communion for all of us who have been baptized in Jesus, we thank you for this to the glory of your name. Amen.